Nerds, you are listening to Marvel's pull list for new comics on sale February 17, 2021. I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. Yes, and we are here to tell you about all the brand new Marvel comics on sale this week. We have a lot to talk about. We're going to tell you our picks, our favorite books of the week. Those are personal picks. And we'll give out some awards that we call the pulleys, just random things that we like to give awards to because awards are fun and everyone should get them. We also have a wonderful interview to get to this week. Our guest is who, Tucker? It's Carla Pacheco. Yeah. We're going to be talking about Spider-Woman Origin by Brian Michael Bendis and Brian Reed and the Luna Brothers. But because we have so many books, I say let's just dive into things. I am going to take the first book, and I am picking Black Widow number five. It's written by Kelly Thompson, (laughs) art by Elena Casagrande with Rafael De La Torre on a couple of pages, colors by Jordi Belair and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. By God, Black Widow moves me. It's a great book. It's action-packed. It's fast. It's like, go, go, go. But it's also devastating emotionally and mentally for the reader and for the characters. Kelly, as the writer on this book, has put Natasha and a lot of other people through some really intense stuff over five issues. And there are a few books that have gotten me this emotionally invested this quickly. And man, Elena crushing it here. Uh, I'm excited because Raphael is doing more Marvel work. You've got Hawkeye and Yelena Belova and Winter Soldier playing key parts in this. And on top of all the emotional stuff, the sense of, oh no, what did we do? We pissed off Black Widow. We're all dead coming from all the bad guys is so perfect. It is exactly what you expect. Like you woke the bear and now the bear is coming after you. And the bear is is also a spider. And so picture (laughs) that. It's a bear-sized spider and it's coming after you. That is the sense of dread you should have when you piss off Natasha Romanoff. My first pick of the week is King in Black, number four. It is written by Donnie Cates with pencils by Ryan Stegman, inks by J.P. Mayer, colors by Frank Martin, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. The way that we kick off is there's been a kind of strange connection between Dylan and Null, and we're learning, it feels like, more and more about Dylan page by page at the moment. I love this first page where we get the symbiote essentially communicating with Dylan, and it's just this ping. It's just this rhythm that's hitting between what's going on in Dylan's mind, what's happening between him and Null, uh, and then it all kicks off. I don't want to touch that anymore due to spoilers, but this big thing that, you know what? It's Donny Cates and it's the X-Men. Donny Cates writing the X-Men now in here. You can just tell, I feel like, the reverence, how much a character like Jean Grey, for example, means to Donny, who is obviously a mega fan, aside from being a mega talented writer. So when we get these things all combined, it is so cool. And this has been one of my highlights of the King in Black event is seeing the X-Men being involved. Uh, So there are some incredible moments with that. And then as we move into the last 10, 5, 10 pages of this, some uh, wild stuff kicks off as we move towards the close 
of King in Black, which I'll wrap up with this. We said it in issue one. We said it when we had our director's commentary discussion with Donnie and Ryan. They said they wanted issue number one to feel like the last issue of any other event. Uh, so that sets quite a stage now as we move into the final bits of this story. The series is delivered. You know, I certainly expected it to, uh, and yet it's exceeding expectations. Yeah, it's big time. It's real good. Our next pick for this week is Immortal Hulk Flatline number one. This is a, a tremendous effort by someone whom I really adore, Mr. Declan Shalvey. He is just steering the entire ship on this issue. He is doing the writing. He is doing the art. He's doing the colors. He did the cover. You've got VC's Corey Pettit doing the lettering here, but this is Dex just rocking and rolling, going to town, doing the whole thing. And it's this really beautiful Hulk story where he brings in this character who has deep ties to Bruce Banner, like really connects to Bruce in a way that a lot of characters can't. And you get this, this sense of sadness and hope at the same time throughout this storyline. It is a gorgeous book. It is another one of those books that... Uh, elicited an emotional response. And I think that's part of why I, I, I glommed onto this one. There's this montage of things that are going on and it's silent as you see something happen to the Hulk and then three rows of two panels on the left side are all Hulk, on the right side are all Bruce. And it's it's a really devastating thing as you go through those and see and think about what that means to the Hulk and what that means to Bruce Banner and how it all squares off. I'm trying to be a little vague because mm -hmm. I don't want to give away too much here, but Declan can kind of do no wrong to me. He's just such an amazing artist. And to see him get to stretch his legs more and more and show that he is also just in every possible way, a brilliant storyteller. I just say like more Declan doing everything all the time forever, please. Wrapping it up for our picks this week with Thor number 12. Uh, it is written by Donny Cates with art by the incredible Nick Klein and colors by Matt Wilson and letters and designed by VCs Joe Sabino. The story just at face value is uh, a stunner. It is knock down, drag out, kind of classic Thor in that way. Uh, but what's there and what's not there is highly consequential to what we're seeing going on. Jane Foster plays a big part in this story. It's something that I was super excited to see brought into uh, this series. You know, Jason Aaron and company have just made her such a vital part of any book with the title Thor on it. You know, no matter who holds the mantle, no matter who it's about, Jane Foster at this point has to be involved. Uh, so it's so cool to see that and to see Jane take the reins in a big way in this issue. Where we lead drops us off at a point in the story that I remember hearing about back in story pitches, back in uh, creative retreats, and it leaves uh, at a point that I think is so exciting. It's so fun. It brings in this new element to the story that I've been really, really looking forward to. Uh, it's something different. It's something new. It's something that I think, as if there wasn't enough going on in this story, brings in this other element that I think is unmatched to a degree. Uh, so to see where we're going to go from here is just so exciting. But in terms of the topography of this issue, it is a wild ride, a big punch you in the face type of Thor issue, which is some of my favorite type of stuff. What a fun read and so much more to come on this front. 
Uh, all right, let's dive into all the other new books out this week. We've got a lot of pulleys to dish out. First up is Cable Number Eight, Jerry Duggan again, and a Phil Noto. Phil freaking Noto. Yeah. I. <laughs> Oof. Um, this one, I'm going to give the um, best new restaurant pulley in the Marvel Universe to this one for the, the restaurant that Domino and Kid Cable go to, which I was just like waiting for a punchline to go one way. And then it went in a completely different direction. And it's just this book is bananas and it's wild and it's really fun. And um, I really need to see Phil draw more strife in future issues. Yeah. All right. Next up, we have Captain America number 27. It's a modern Captain America story. It's a story that challenges Steve Rogers in a way that can only be viewed through a modern lens. It's really, really fascinating. And of course, you have Mr. Coates bringing it to you, which is everything you could dream of it being. This issue contains a big beat in this story. We have a big foe coming into the fold in a major way, right to the front of the battle lines. And to have that get intertwined in everything that is going on here is really, really exciting. It's a character I'm excited to see ta write as we go forward. Totally. And we've got champions number four this week. I really love that Cyclops is here and hitting upon that connection that kid Cyclops had, the the younger version that was around for a while with the young X-Men that were time displaced. And when that all got sorted out, older Cyclops retained all the memories that young Cyclops had. I think that's one of the coolest little comic booky things that we've done. And this has my favorite Cyclops bit of the week. That would be my pulley of him talking with his champions, you know, former teammates. And there's this one moment where he's on the Marauder ship and he's asked by Iceman, it's like, what's with the getup? And he's just like got this big grin on his face. He's like, my champion's uniform for old time's sake. It's just so cute. It makes me be like, maybe Cyclops isn't the dinkiest dink in the world. <laughs> Maybe. Next up, we got Guardians of the Galaxy number 11. Gosh. Oof. This is another issue that I feel like has some really, really big beats in terms of the broader narrative that's being told here. And of course, it is so gorgeously brought to you by Juan Cabal. Uh, we get Galactus page one here, and I'm just kind of gobsmacked. And uh, I don't know how to contain myself. It's so excellent. So much fun. A lot more to come in the realm of Guardians of the Galaxy. Recently, some big announcements have been made about this series as we continue to see it evolve, as we continue to see it move forward and see the story that Al Ewing is telling. It's a great time to be a fan of this series and this team. Man, it's freaking great. Great comics. Guardians was nearly one of my picks, as well as Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon, number two. The art in here by David Wachter is gorgeous. It's really, really pretty, even though it gets into Iron Fist and Luke Cage and a bunch of other amazing heroes beating up nasty zombie ninja creatures and weird stuff happening. And it, and it actually ends up floating into Wakanda and we get dragons, we get all kinds of cool things. But my pulley for this one goes to best conversation about death in a book this week, which kind of reminded me of the conversation that Gandalf has with Pippin in Lord of the Rings, where, you know, he's talking about how this isn't the end. This is, you know, we'll see our friends and blah, 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 all, all that beautiful stuff. There's a conversation that this entity called the Mother of Mercy has with Danny Rand in this issue. And she says, take heart and remember that when your feet stand close to the great change men call death, 
I will send forth oceans of compassion to wash away your fear. Larry Hama just coming in being like, oh yeah, you like comics? How about this comics? <laughs> just This book is so good. This book is so, so, so good. Yeah, right there with you. Next up we have Iron Man number six. This is a really fascinating issue, not just in terms of what's going on in Tony's head, but what's going on between Tony and Patsy Walker. And beyond that, the cabal of villains and antagonists that we have in this story. It's really, really interesting. I really enjoyed in particular this sequence, which is largely wordless, no dialogue, all action, and you feel the stakes, which is something that I think is tough to do, period, let alone in the first few issues of a run like this. So kudos to the creative team. It's Kafu's art is obviously glorious. Unreal. Just Unreal. so, so, so talented. I love reading anything that Kafu brings to the table. So yeah, a lot to enjoy here and uh, a lot to dig into. Yeah. Uh, we've already talked about one King in Black book. We've got a couple more King in Black tie-ins. We've got King in Black, Planet of the Symbiotes number two, which is going to get a double pulley for me for double returns of the week. We get the return of American Kaiju, which was a character I believe Al Ewing helped co-create in the pages of New Avengers, if I remember correctly. He is, as you would imagine, a giant Kaiju named Todd Ziller. <laughs> character's name is Todd Ziller. He's a uh, soldier who turns into a massive kaiju with an American flag on his chest. And by God, there's nothing I love more than that. Give it to me, stick it in my veins, and let me explode with joy. Uh, and then another return with Hornet, the mantle of that character being taken up by Hobie Brown, who is a fantastic character. Jeffrey Thorne, who we talked effusively about recently with his uh, King of Black, Black Panther story, just coming in and crushing it, crushing it once again. Yes, uh, and now plenty of pleas to give out to Miles Morales, Spider-Man number 23. What the damn hell, man? <laughs> what are you doing coming out of nowhere, Saladin Ahmed and Carmen Carnero? With this story, it is so excellent. This one, it gets my pulley for fist bump of the week. It gets my pulley for Miles Morales involved with symbiote dragons of the week. Won't describe it more than that, but oh my God, it's awesome. Carmen is delivering the monster action so beautifully. I love it so much. Uh, and then a uh, wild turn. Uh, in the last half of this issue as we move over to another character that Saladin is certainly very familiar with. I'm talking about Kamala Khan. Where that goes is really awesome. The emotion involved is so, so beautiful. so well told. Great action, great emotion. It's all in here. It was great. Yeah. One more King of Black book this week. It's Savage Avengers number 18. And uh, this one gets my pulley for favorite heist of the week as Nightflyer, Conan, and Deadpool go to uh, rob the Hellfire Club. Think about that for a second, and you've got hijinks, <laughs> you've got some bad stuff happening to Deadpool, who has just basically turned into a pincushion throughout this issue, but beautiful art by Kev Walker in here, and has one of my favorite sequences right at the end as Conan faces off against Iceman, and it rules. All right, next up, we're going over to Agent M's favorite mug, I have three of them. Now that I've moved, they're really? all consolidated in one place. I have three <laughs> MODOK mugs. I'm talking about MODOK Head Games number three. These writers 
and this entire creative team are just, you can feel they're so eager to pack as much as they can into every single panel and page. And with a character like Modoc and with a supporting character like Gwenpool, it works so, so beautifully. Uh, it feels like, you know, groundbreaking work in this strange way in real time as we get to know the wildness of a Modoc story, but the character of Modoc more and more. And that's where this issue leads us. And it's a wild ride, a very unusual ride, but another one of those that I feel like just leaps off the page in a great way. Maybe pulley to the colors on this issue, which are by Carlos Lopez. I think it's a beautiful book, but also pulley to the biography of Modoc. And we'll talk more about that another time. I look. I struggled to not choose this again. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. All right, let's talk about Marauders number 18. Man, Jerry has a lot of books out this week. Yeah. Yeah. This one is cool. We've got a lot of stuff happening in Madripoor in this issue as the mutants are going in and then they're finding resistance and all kinds of stuff. I think I'm going to give my pulley for this one to Sweetest Moment of the Week. It's a sequence in which Mask, he's a mutant with a power to basically mold people's faces and, and skin and stuff and has always used it to maim people and, and mess with their looks and, and whatnot. But he's here at a hospital that the mutants have put together in Madripoor and he is using his gifts to help people. And it's this three-page sequence in which he's helping a baby who has a cleft palate and he touches the baby's face and is able to heal the child. And it's the sequence, the joy that Stefano Caselli draws on the face of the child and like the wonderment on Mask's face of like, wait, I can do such good and I never have before. It's like sadness and wonder and amazement. It's a beautiful sequence. Yeah, completely agreed. Uh, next up, we have Marvel number five. It is a collection of a bunch of different writers and artists telling a few different stories. The first one is called Day in the Mystical Life of Wong. It's a fascinating look at this character and seeing how he interacts with others, seeing what his relationship is like with Strange. The position he holds, not just in the Sanctum Sanctorum, but in his little corner of the universe. It's really, really cool. Then we have another uh, story called The Best of Us. That's by Adam Hughes, uh, which is a really, really cool um, World War II kind of story that I think is just beautiful. I will say, warning for anybody who can't handle seeing vomit on the page, yeah. there's yeah. a vomit sequence there, but I'm going to give a pulley to my favorite vomit sequence in comics, maybe ever, in which Nick Fury vomits on a painting or picture of Adolf Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> give me a whole book of people throwing up on Adolf Hitler. I think that would be hilarious. Yeah. We're wrapping it up with uh, Hulk slash X-Men. Hulk really kind of in Wolverine story that I just really enjoyed. Just beautiful art. And pulling in this one, I think, for gritted teeth of the week, because boy, do we get a lot of them. <laughs> um, but it's awesome. Jumps off the page. It's great stuff. Yeah, I, I do want to say a couple of things because I love the Marvel series a ton and has a bunch of amazing artists who don't get to do a lot of interior work for Marvel. Like Lucio Pario, he's done a ton of really beautiful painted variant covers for us over the years. And then that first story, that Wong story, is by Xander Cannon and Gene Ha. And Gene Ha, is a master in my opinion. So seeing Gene do Marvel work and Xander as well, 
It makes me so happy. It makes me so happy. I just had to throw those in there as I get to Spider-Woman number nine by our guest for this show, Carla Pacheco, with just amazing art by Pere Perez. Um, Carla, Carla, you're you're <laughs> just a monster. Like, I just don't know what's going to happen next. And I love that about this book. I think that's my pulley is like the pulley for being the most unexpected book every week. It is beautiful and wonderful as we are sort of following along as Jessica Drew is trying to find a cure for a disease that is hurting her, possibly her son, her niece. And she's she's like so close to the edge of all this. I love this book. Carla's going to Carla, as you'll hear very <laughs> shortly. Yes. Uh, all right. We're wrapping it up now with our last new book of the week. It's X-Men Legends number one. Uh, it's a really cool premise for this book, which is basically jumping back with some great X-Men creators and revisiting stories that they've told in the past, telling new information, really diving back into these storylines and telling in continuity stories. We are exploring in particular here the connection between Adam X and the Summers family. You know, if you're a fan of this era of X-Men comics, if you're a fan of uh, 90s Marvel in that way, I feel like this is exactly the kind of book for you. There is a pulley on offer, I think, maybe in this issue for... Favorite facial hair of the week? Um, I'll leave it to you readers to find out who I'm talking about and how that comes into play. But uh, just really, really good looking stuff in X-Men Legends number one. That is what we have for new issues on sale for February 17th. Jumping over to collections now. A ton of stuff on offer here. Of course, though, I am going straight to Daredevil by Chip Zdarsky and Dawn of X Volume 13. Give me all that Dawn of X action. I'll take it as much as I can get. So good. Great stuff I'll offer in print. For sure. Over on Marvel Unlimited, tons of books to talk about this week. I would say if you, you've been reading Marvel Zombies Resurrection, there's issue four of that series in there. Star Wars Darth Vader 7, just that book's a banger. It's really, really good. And the first issue of the Taskmaster series is now in Marvel Unlimited, along with many, many others, lots of Ten of Swords and more. So you can go to Marvel.com for the full list or just be a subscriber to Marvel Unlimited. Speaking of Marvel Unlimited, Tucker, before we get into talking with Carla Pacheco, we should tell people a little bit about the Deadpool Nerdy 30 event, which is coming up February 25th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Someone you may know is hosting this event. His name is Ryan Panagos. I'm hosting this event. It's going to be really fun. It's a live stream that we're doing. And if you want to attend this live virtual event, it is free for Marvel Unlimited Plus members. And if you have not yet joined Marvel Unlimited Plus, you can do so by February 25th to attend for free. Now, there will also be a limited number of tickets available to purchase for non-members at $20 a ticket. But look, with Marvel Unlimited Plus, you get Marvel Unlimited. You get the yearly box of awesomeness with exclusives and goodies and all that stuff. Plus, now you get to go to this Deadpool Nerdy 30 live virtual event where we're just celebrating 30 years of Deadpool. And uh, how are we doing that, Tucker? Well, we are celebrating 
with a ton of incredible guests, some of the most impactful creators in Deadpool history. I'm talking about Fabian Nicieza, Ed McGinnis, Joe Kelly, Gail Simone, Daniel Way, Jerry Duggan, Brian Possein, Mike Hawthorne, and of course, Rob Liefeld. Yes. I am super excited. I've been figuring this out for a little while with the team, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. To get in on this action, of course, you got to sign up for Marvel Unlimited Plus. Um, you can also, as I mentioned, get try and get one of those limited number of tickets available for purchase. Join Marvel Unlimited Plus at marvel.com slash mu-nerdy30. That is written out N-E-R-D-Y-T-H-I-R-T-Y. It's going to be a hoot. I'm really looking forward to it. We'll make sure we'll put the link in our show notes and it'll be on an article on marvel.com. You'll hear all about it as we get to the event. It's going to be great. Hope you can join us. All right, all that exciting stuff happening and happening in the future. But right now, we are going to one of our faves with Carla Pacheco. Let's talk to Carla about Spider-Woman origin. All right, Tucker, hold on to your butt because our guest this week is returning champion Carla Pacheco. Carla, hello. Woo! Is that too hot on the mic of me going, woo? I don't really care if it is, but I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be sensitive to the audience's needs, like I always am. Oh, yes, yes, very much so. We appreciate it, and more importantly, the listeners appreciate it. Carla, you are writing some wonderful Spider-Woman comics these days, and we have brought you on for our reading club, uh, your second time on the show for it, to talk about Spider-Woman Origin, the 2005 story by Brian Michael Bendis, Brian Reed, and the Luna Brothers. Let's just dive right in. Carla, why did you choose this story? Basically because I stole from it a lot uh, when I started (laughs) writing (laughs) Spider-Woman. No, I've always, (laughs) I mean, I prefer to refer to it as I wasn't stealing so much as standing on the shoulders of semi-giants. So I was just building off of Spider-Woman origins because, as we know, Jessica Drew has had a very storied past, and she's had a a lot of different canons and some kind of different stories that have varied from, like, the really wild and mystical, you know, fighting Morgan Le Fay to fighting monsters and all sorts of stuff. So I really loved Origins and what Brian Bendis did with this in that he kind of brought all of those together and... I just thought made a really great Jessica Drew story that it was great if you were a longtime Jessica Drew fan, because there was a lot of stuff where you're just like, oh, that, oh, that. And he did, uh, I I felt like he didn't retcon things so much as tweak con them, maybe gave it a little more realistic grounding. You know, it was very badass. And I just thought it was a really, really great series and just a wonderful Jessica Drew story, just a wonderful superhero story. And that was kind of what I had wanted to do with the new Spider-Woman. And so I definitely, I used a lot of origins as kind of my foundation for the new Spider-Woman series. And I definitely something that I kind of was aspiring to do the same thing of taking the stuff that had gone before and expanding on it and adding to it. And so I just think it's a fun series and I enjoy it. So it rocks. So that's why. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, there's no bad time to talk about the wonders of Brian Michael Bendis. And this is such a wonderful reminder because for me, this is my first time reading these issues that we're covering today. And, you know, there are so many storied like 
obviously series and events and characters that were written by Bendis, but this was one that wasn't really on my radar. So to dive in and to actually see how rich and incredible it was, it was like such a crazy reminder of the depth of the Brian Michael Bendis library in that way. It was really amazing. My first introduction to Jessica Drew and Spider-Woman was during Bendis's Avengers. And it was kind of like, ah, oh, that's kind of a cool character. Yeah, she's, she's a little sassy. I really love his version of Jessica Drew and Spider-Woman. And, you know, she definitely just had so much personality, but also kind of just like this tired of everybody's crap. Perpetually. <laughs> yeah, very much. So... I was kind of intrigued by the character. And then with Origins, I thought it was a really, really cool way to bring this character, give her a really good story of her own. And and yeah, you're right. Like a lot of times Bendis is known more for the big events, you know, and so it was really cool what he did with Origins, I thought. So yes, uh, Tucker, this was your first time getting to read Origins. So what'd you think? It was kind of unexpected in a big way. I associate Jestru with your Jestru in a way, like certainly with the way that you write the character where it's on the front foot with the humor and the quips and the kind of fast pace nature of it all. And then having the kind of emotional resonance behind all of that and the pathos and all of that underneath in kind of crucial moments. So In a way, I felt like reading this, it was a little bit of a shift in those kind of things where it felt like on the front foot a little bit more was plumbing the depths of who this person is and backing that up with more of the personality, which was really interesting and I think totally appropriate for an origin story like this and certainly for the story that we get to know in here, which is really intense but it definitely like morphs my understanding of like the overall structure of who this character is. It was really, really interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, I felt it was important. I mean, like I kind of said, like my Jessica Drew is based off of Brian Michael Bendis's. Like I kind of took that as, again, like as her origin. What I was trying to do with my Jessica Drew was basically, you know, keep extrapolating from what she was in Origins and how that character would have changed without having to take her all the way back to the beginning. Mm -hmm. I like origin because it's like, yep, that's where she started. You don't have to have read that to enjoy My Spider-Woman number one. But if you go back and read that, you can start seeing a lot of little details that show up in the new Spider-Woman. Yeah, that was something that I really dug. Reading concurrently the new comics and the stories and knowing Jessica's history over these last couple of years, where she is, and... Then also now reading a story that is very much her origin, like her in a different place and headspace and all that stuff. It really shows how much work you and the other creators have done over time to build her and like flesh out all these different parts of her world. But still, it's all resonant and it's all there. And still the pieces, especially that we see in here, are very much reflected in who she's become now. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like a... Bendis built on the foundation of what was started back in 1977. 
He built on that foundation. Then a lot of other people have built on Jessica's foundation, you know, like uh, Kelly Sue and obviously Hopeless and uh, Rodriguez and Teeny Howard and Kelly Thompson. So, like, everyone's really expanded her character. And then I kind of take her back to a dark place <laughs> <laughs> where it's kind of like, we're going to dig back into these roots a little bit while also taking in everything that's come between basically the origin to now. Like she goes back to a dark place and it's got roots in origins, in her origin, but now she's coming there from a place of, what, 15, 16 years of history that people have built on top of that. So there's a lot of stuff, like if you read the current Spider-Woman, there are pages from origin that Pera completely redrew just from like a slightly different angle but he was doing them specifically in the Luna Brothers style. And I just think that's really neat that we have flashbacks that mm -hmm. are exactly in the style of origin. But it, it's more fun if you read origin because you understand what all these flashbacks are. You can kind of have the, ah! <laughs> I think that's a lot of fun, just being able to kind of like bring back these little threads. Yeah. Just from like a fan's perspective, it must just be awesome to be able to go into those moments that you love so much and contribute, see them from a different perspective, that kind of thing. It's got to be so awesome. Well, obviously. And I mean, I mean, and that's the beauty of comics. Why I love working for Marvel is these are characters I love and I like playing in these sandboxes. You know, it's like no matter how long this current series of Spider-Woman goes and hopefully forever. Yeah. I've had my fingerprints on that character now. I've contributed to this. And we all just keep adding fingerprints to it. And I just think that's really neat. It's like, it's what adds to the richness of the universe. I think that's one of the things that makes comics so special. Yeah. I was at Wizard Magazine when this was going on. And this was like such a hype train. Like Spider-Woman was just like chugga, 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 chugga going, becoming a main character that she she mm -hmm. hadn't been in a long time. A lot of it, you know, from New Avengers into this and then the big revelations that come not mm -hmm. too long afterwards. It's really fascinating to me that she was kind of, I don't remember what she was doing before <laughs> New Avengers. It's always been, I guess, surprising to me that she hasn't had more focus. I mean, like with Spider-Woman number five here, we just had the Legacy 100. Mm -hmm issue, which a hundred issues in 44 years is not really a lot. She certainly had books where she was her own star. And this, I think, is one of the best of them with Origins. But she is very much, I think, for most people, they kind of consider her, you know, a teammate. And so I think that's why I like Origins. And that's what I've been enjoying doing with my run is letting her get the spotlight and just really focus on that. And, you know, especially when she's not feeling good, because I think Jess is the most interesting when she's not very happy. <laughs> yeah, you, you've, you've really leaned into that. <laughs> ah, yeah. <laughs> Things get better. <laughs> oh, good. She's not vomiting green sludge for, you know, four issues. <laughs> well, what issue are we on now? <laughs> I mean, later today, I'm writing monster trucks with Jess. Yeah, so I'm not going to tell you when those show up, but there will be monster <laughs> trucks. So, hey, everybody loves monster trucks. 
in Jersey. Yeah. How is that not a good time? (laughs) (laughs) Carla, this gets kind of into something that I wanted to hear your thoughts on. It wasn't really something I don't think we could have talked about when you were on the show for the first time. The episode came out on June 9th. You know, that was right at the start of the run. I don't think we could dig too deep into it, not least because we couldn't spoil things for people out there. I'm curious now, looking at Origins and looking at how much you've said that this series has had an impact on the way you write this character, that must have been the ammunition you came to the table with. So when you had those early conversations, when you were pitching the story for the very first time, could you sum up what you remember kind of being the statement of intent behind your pitch for Spider-Woman? Um, it was basically, we're going to springboard off of Origins and then blow up helicopters. I believe that was basically <laughs> the entirety of my pitch. I mean, I knew from the beginning that they wanted to take Jess kind of breaking bad. And I was just like, let's see how we get there. And, you know, to bring it back to Origins, Jess was Hydra. She did some bad stuff. So, yeah, I think my my pitch was basically just like, Jess in a really, really bad mood, and then we're going to get into why she's in a bad mood, and she's going to have to deal with some stuff from her past. And obviously, that past, I was taking it from Origins and just kind of picking up a few threads that had been dropped or snipped, like uh, spoilers. I can say that in Origins, Jess's mom is shown being murdered by Hydra. And I uh, pulled up quick to retrieve that thread. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and there's the stuff with the high evolutionary that's hinted at in Origins. I did think it was neat in Origins how Bendis used kind of some of like the new men and the hybrid creatures as more of hallucinations. And I was just like, no, no, those are real. (laughs) Check them out. They're in space. (laughs) But, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I just I filled up. Wondergore with a whole bunch of like Perry just went nuts. I was just like, yeah, I need a whole bunch of half animal, half dinosaur, semi-human monsters, and then just go crazy with it. And he's like, okay, can do. And so we got some real bonkers ones in there. You know, so some of that, I think I was pulling a little harder from previous origin stories with Jess, but I still loved the idea of Wondegore being where it all started and for our story, you know, and in Origins, that's where it all starts. The big part of Origins that I really was not subtle about, if you've read both Origins and our first arc, is the spiders don't have families, which was kind of a throwaway line almost between Jess and her mother in Wondegore in Origins, where they're catching spiders. And later that line shows up throughout that first arc of our run on Spider-Woman. And I like taking little moments like those and kind of actually making them important. And it was obviously, it was important to the character development in Origins. And for me, I just went at it with a hammer. Because <laughs> subtext is for cowards. <laughs> it gets at something that I love talking about with those little kind of side moments or characters, Carla, that you were inspired by and then took and shifted and made your own. It's something that I think comes up with Brian Michael Bendis's writing actually quite often, which is mm-hmm. these seeds that he seems to have left behind that are just like, hey, it's here if you want it. 
There's something here, but if you don't touch it, that's fine. It's not a story that's necessarily begging to be told, but there's a lot there if you want it. And it's funny because then I think Jonathan Hickman has done a lot of the same stuff. And so what I love thinking about now is someone like you, Carla, or other writers that are telling these stories now as this kind of lineage continues on to see the seeds continue to be dropped and continue to grow. Or for sure. I think a lot of it's just Bendis creates good characters. I can be digging around and looking for like, hey, I need a villain. It's like, well, I'm not going to bring back Otto Vermis, but what if I gave him like a really evil Hydra daughter and she was just insane and built and hello, Octavia. You know, she ties in and you see her history in a really quick shot. And then that can become someone that I'm hoping other people want to take her out in their little sandlots because I think she's just a fun character and you know, it wasn't just Pilates. <laughs> <laughs> you talked a little bit about Wondagore Mountain, which I wanted to go back to because I wanted to point out there's a splash page in Origins in issue number two that if any of our listeners haven't read it yet, definitely even just pull up number two on Marvel Unlimited. There's this big splash page of the high evolutionary over Wondagore, and it's just so beautiful. And I love the scale and the scope and that like, sense of wonder, but also kind of like terror that it evokes in the story. There was both wonder and gore. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? I'm ending this podcast right now. <laughs> Carla's gonna Carla. <laughs> but going back to the, the book, the High Evolutionary page, I love it so much. And um, it's really interesting for me also to look at this time frame of the Luna Brothers as the artists, like they were so red hot. Mm-hmm. They had an image book that they were they were working on at the time. They hadn't done a ton of Marvel work. They were coming. I believe they were like handpicked to do this. That page in particular, and there's some some really good um, like acting bits throughout the issues that I really dug, and I'm I'm glad they were able to leave their mark on the story as well. Oh, yeah. I think like the work that they did on Origins is just, I mean, much like with what Pera is doing in our run and that uh, Rodriguez did on the Hopeless run, I feel like these artistic teams have really made the most of the character and the history of the character and really taken it in unique ways. I love that any Jessica Drew series, there's a distinct art style. Like, you know it's a Jessica Drew series. Like, this is Spider-Woman. And I think that's a very unique thing to the character is that, you know, she's had such great artistic teams that really take it over the top, take it to the limit, do something inventive and gorgeous with it. And I, I just think there's been a lot of innovation with the art side of Jessica Drew, for sure. Mm-hmm. That was one of the things that really struck me when I was reading this, like specifically because of the way that you can read these on Marvel Unlimited, where you can kind of do like this explosive view and see all of the pages at once. It really struck me the color palette that is being played with here. It just feels so appropriate. And it feels like you're kind of looking back into the kind of dawn light of this story throughout so much of it. Oh, absolutely. You literally get that at times where like the sun is kind of cresting over the hills or something like that. But it was really, really interesting because I hadn't, I didn't notice it until I was a healthy way through the story and it suddenly felt so right. I just love those kind of things where... There is so clearly 
a creative decision being made at every turn and every single minute choice is part of one cohesive vision. It's just so cool. I mean, I feel like all of Origins, it has almost in my mind, almost like this dreamy watercolor effect where, yeah, like you were mentioning, the light, like you can feel it is dawn. You always know exactly like what time of day it is to the hour because the use of the light and everything does have almost this dreamy flashback feel to it. Obviously, like it was a very distinct choice and I feel like it works so good. And that that's one of those things where I was saying when we do flashbacks to moments from origins, you know, a lot of times if you do a flashback, like, oh, you might tint it kind of sepia tone to show it was in the past. This, it's like we just tint it the same colors that it was in the book and that immediately gets across that, oh, no, this is a flashback. And I think one of my favorite things about our final page for issue five, where we are kind of wrapping up the first arc, we leave with Jess leaving Wondergore and flying into a sunset over the mountains that forms the spider icon. Frankie and Peta collaborated so well to get that gorgeous sunset feel. Coloring-wise, I felt like it was a definite homage to origins and like the coloring that they did there while also, you know, it's like, hey, we're literally heading off to the sunset. (laughs) (laughs) I think about this stuff and then, you know, what is it probably like two, three years after origin, there's the Spider-Woman Agent of Sword book, which is a really fascinating one. It makes me also think about what you had said, which had never galvanized for me until you mentioned it, Carla, was the art of it all Mm. around Spider-Woman and like that series by Alex Malev, the Mm. art on that, which we even turned into a motion comic, which was pretty neat to see that process come together. There's just so many cool aspects of Jess and starting to put them together. It's wild that she's not like you say, that she's only had 100 issues of her own solo series. It feels like she's been doing so much over like so long. Well, I think uh, anyone who's gotten a chance to work with Jess really like, you know, it's like we're going to make the most of it, (laughs) you know, Uh, because she's a malleable character in that you can kind of slaughter in almost anywhere, not in a Dan sort of way, just in, you know, (laughs) you can put her wherever. (laughs) Sorry, Carla's going to Carla. And she's not so like, oh my God, this is Wolverine. Like there's obviously a lot of great things you can do with Wolverine, but at the end of the day, it's Wolverine. (laughs) You kind of know what you're gonna get. And there's expectations that go into it. With uh, Spider-Woman, we've got a lot of wiggle room that you you can add and subtract and put her in a bunch of different situations and you know, she'll always still be Jess, but there's a lot you can do with the character, probably because it's only been 100 issues in 44 years. I feel like it's definitely a character that, you know, you can kind of pop her in anywhere and people aren't going to go like, oh, Spider-Woman would never do that. I mean, some will, but then I just ignore them. Uh, <laughs> Spider-Woman would never ride dinosaurs shooting laser guns. It's like, Actually, no one said that. Yeah, that's, come on. Everybody (laughs) wants that. Yeah, I mean, a very disgruntled corner of the internet, who shall not be named, was outraged that I was tossing a child off a boat. But, you know, it's Jess was in a really bad mood. She's not herself. 
which it was kind of fun because there were a few things that I kind of got away with of Jess just being in a really bad mood. And it's like, I don't know that she'd do this. And I'm just like, she's not feeling good. (laughs) 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 It's kind of been coming to a head in issue eight where she basically went on a crime spree with Octavia Vermis. But it's just Mm. like, she's not feeling good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it gets at something for for me, talking about, being in a, a bad mood and wanting to take it out on folks. I mean, the fight scenes in your series are truly up there with the best that we read. It's really, really incredible stuff. And that was a really interesting thing for me reading Origins is as we get into it and we get into issue number three, we kind of progress through the story. There's some truly incredible fight scenes in this limited series it makes me believe in a legacy of like that is now kind of becoming solidified for me as like a hallmark of a spider woman of a Jessica drew story is like really incredible fight choreography fight scenes. It it was striking to me reading this where like there are some sequences that are very, very sparse in the dialogue and you're just following the action. It's so cool and it's so well done you never lose sight of where these characters are emotionally. And that's something that I think this series has certainly has in common with your series. And that was just something I wanted to hear your thoughts on. It was writing fight sequences and being able to tell story or realize character at the same time. How do you go about doing that? One of the things, again, that uh, I love about Origins is because it does establish Jessica Drew, you know, she was trained by Taskmaster. You know, she does have Venom Blasts and Pheromone powers. And, you know, she's got some freaking cool abilities. She can indeed pull a helicopter out of the sky. I know because I double checked. It's like, nah, she's rated to 70 tons. This will work. Um, (laughs) But for writing the action scenes, for me, all credit has to go to Para because he is a trained martial arts instructor. Oh, wow. There you go. At one point during lockdown, he was actually hosting Wing Chun classes like on Zoom for the editorial team and uh, Frankie. And it was very, very cute. So he's a trained martial arts instructor. My partner's a stuntman. So if there's something I don't know how to get out of, like I might like, hey, honey, I need you to you know, jump me from behind and show me how I'm going to, like, <laughs> break out of this arm bar. But for the most part, like, <laughs> what, it is, does no other writer do this? Am I the only one? With Para and I, we're, for most of our action scenes, and I'm actually, I'm getting ready to start on an issue that we are just referring to the all action series. <laughs> I've had people go, like, I can barely breathe in your regular issues. <laughs> like, it just goes <laughs> fight to fight to fight. Like, it's like... Oh, I thought that one was kind of slow because they were talking about emotions. And they're like, they were talking about emotions while riding dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I guess that's, for me, I always want the dialogue to be moving the story forward because I know Para will be moving the action forward. We do work Marvel style a lot where, because I know he'll be able to come up with a way more inventive fight scene or panel layout. Like, I never would have had, like, the hubris to go, oh, yeah, I need uh, 13 diagonal panels while uh, a bunch of people are fighting dinosaurs. <laughs> I, you know, I, I wrote that page as, like, I think five panels. 
And then I was actually annoyed when I had to go back and do the lettering, <laughs> uh, the lettering pass, because it's like, I got to write 13 panels worth of uh, sound effects now. Uh, <laughs> it's like, damn you, para. Uh, but that said, I basically know any page I give him, like panel numbers or panel layouts are just suggestions. So that is where I focus on what the emotional beat is for specific pages or specific panels or just like these three things need to happen on the page. Here's what else is going on, but this needs to happen somewhere here. This needs to be the last line out. I spend a lot more time describing what the characters are feeling. And then Para is such a amazing, uh, like he draws such good facial acting and such physical acting. So you can see when Jess is just so ticked off that she just chucks a dinosaur at her brother's head, <laughs> you know? You know, and then I go back through and I'll adjust the dialogue to make sure it's matching whatever genius thing Para came up with. The combination of the character acting with the action, that's just being lucky enough to have such an amazing collaborator and such a great team. And I definitely can't take credit for how the action turns out. I just try to make sure that it makes sense in the end and that we get a couple zingers, but to make sure that they're at least like emotional zingers. And then also that I get the chance to rip everyone's heart out. So that's really, really key. (laughs) (laughs) You're good at that. We're Getting close to wrapping up, I, I want to talk about something a little bit more serious for Spider-Woman Origin, because I was reading it and going through Jessica's upbringing and the Hydra stuff. It reminded me of a conversation I had on the show with Leah Williams not long ago. We were talking about the Magic series from the 80s, and we started to end up talking about abuse and, mm-hmm. and what abusers do. And then I was reading a recent issue of hers from X Factor, which really dives into that. And and like I connected to that conversation and, and some other experiences to this and what Jessica had gone through in a different mm-hmm. way than I had when I was... 24 and reading this series. I thought it was, you know, it's another layer of this book that I was really, I'm really glad we revisited for just seeing what what was put in here and and how freaking difficult it was for Jess. Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of bad stuff happens in Origins. You know, it's physical abuse. It's emotional abuse. You see some of the, uh, like the abuse between her parents. I definitely took that to heart because it's part of what forms you. That type of experience that affects you in every day of your life and how you deal with relationships, even if they're good ones, you know, and how you deal with anything. And so I definitely felt like that was a very, very formative element to Jess's past. And a lot of people have mentioned with my run, now seeing some analogs with substance abuse because Jess is basically being kept alive by this Marshawn serum, but it's making her a total jerk. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And it's making her more desperate and not quite in her right mind and lashing out at the people that care about her and the people that she loves. And that type of mindset is also a legacy of what she went through in Origins. You know, that stuff will keep coming up over and over again if you don't ever deal with it. And she's never dealt with it. 
you know, in between all the helicopter explosions and, you know, Jess taking out an entire Hydra squad and Taskmaster in Origins, both stories definitely have some very real, very realistic elements to them. But I think that's part of the reason why so many people do relate to Jessica Drew and relate to Spider-Woman is those are very, very relatable things, sadly. So yeah, it is kind of taking in the abusive elements that Jess experienced in Origins. You definitely see kind of the, I hesitate to say payoff, but I guess the consequences of that mm-hmm. in in the, the current run. I really feel like, you know, getting to read a five-issue limited series like this you know, I think this has been such a, a great lesson for me in a character, and it's made me appreciate your run even more because of that <laughs> idea, I, amidst all of the other things that I love about it so much, of just that idea of earning it. And you can really, really feel that resonance behind your story of earning the victories and kind of going as low as you can, going as high as you can. And uh, yeah, it's great to see, and it's great to put in this context as well. Well, thanks. Real quick, I do have to say, it's like, uh, well, and thank you very, very much. Like, that's obviously always the goal. I do have to say, I very, very much appreciate the Spider-Woman readers and the Spider-Woman fans because they're watching me, you know, put her through the ringer and they're like, this hurts so bad, <laughs> but thank you. Uh, it's like, oh, yep, you kept saying you're going to rip our hearts out and you did, but this is good. This is good. And so I think as long as you're being honest with it if you're not doing the cheap shot like if you're not just making someone feel bad for no reason the fans and the readers will go along with you they will be unhappy like that their character that they care about is suffering but they're willing to put trust in you if you put trust in them and trust that you're taking this to some place that's going to have a resolution whether or not it's a happy ending or not you're telling a story and they're willing to give They've been very willing to give me a lot of faith and trust to let me tell this story. I'll always try to earn it. Can't guarantee it because I do love monster trucks <laughs> and people riding dinosaurs. But we just got to do the best you can and, you know, hope it all works out. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> I love that the monster trucks came back around. I got monster trucks on the mind, man. <laughs> There are many worse things to have on the brain. (laughs) Carla, thank you so much for being on the show with us. Everybody read Spider-Woman. It's freaking great. Then go tell Carla you love the book. (laughs) Thank you guys so much. Thanks, Carla. Always a delight. Always a pleasure to talk to Carla. She is just a delight and one of our favorite writers, certainly with every single issue of Spider-Woman. I feel like we're building up a really cool kind of library of analysis on Jess Drew with these couple of uh, episodes we've done with Carla and and more. It's a really, really great time to be a, a Spider-Woman fan and certainly always a great time to be a Carla Pacheco fan. Yeah, as we've said, Carla, gonna, Carla. <laughs> oh boy. That wraps it up for us this week. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Tucker Marcus, Jorge Estrada, and help from Megan Bagala. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is Marvel's Pull List audio development manager. And he often says, hey, guys, Brad's going to Brad. And I'm telling you, Brad, that line does not land, buddy. We love you, but you got to stop saying it. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. 
your universe.